I'm really excited for you guys this morning to hear from Bradley Hyde. Uh, you've seen Bradley. Yeah, there we go. Go ahead and give him a clap. Uh, you, you've seen Bradley on stage leading us in worship musically. You've seen him uh, lead in all sorts of ways. Really excited for you to hear the word God has laid on his heart. He has prayed through this, worked through this. So uh, support him. Give him an amen. Everyone's all. Can we practice? Amen. 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 There we go. Um, and, and just welcome him to the stage as he proclaims the word of God to you now. Welcome, Bradley. How am I doing so far? Yeah. It's good. Um, last night I was feeling pretty nervy about this. That's a cool way of saying nervous. And uh, I was talking to my wife, and she graciously reminded me that um, God uses the dumb to confound the wise. Which now seems rude now that I'm thinking about it this morning. But um, you guys, my name is Bradley. I'm really happy to be here. Um, I am one of the worship leaders, one of three here at Phoenix Bible Church. And I'm one of the guys who has to try to sing songs after these guys who just led us. And it's incredibly difficult. And if you're wondering if it's hard, yes, it's hard. Um, uh, my wife and I, uh, I have a beautiful wife named Alicia. And we have two twin beautiful baby cats who... <laughs> who I honestly have just recently stopped being totally embarrassed to talk about in public because there's a lot of cat haters out there, man. But I got cats, world! I got them. Um, we moved here five years ago in kind of like a crazy way. My wife and I uh, moved to Phoenix on a Greyhound bus in the middle of the night. It was freezing cold on the Greyhound. Um, I think the bus driver was on drugs because she kept like the whole night was talking on the intercom about like, make sure to keep your shoes on. So I don't know if she had previously had issues with people taking their shoes off on her bus, but she literally would not stop talking about the whole time. It was bizarre. We moved here on that Greyhound bus in the middle of the night with no money. Well, we had a little bit of money. She did. I didn't. We didn't have any jobs lined up. I, we didn't have a car, and we didn't really know where we were going to live, to be perfectly honest. We had some ideas of where we might go, but we didn't know for sure. We were crazy, but... As crazy as we were, we were not crazy enough to believe that we could live as a newlywed Christian couple outside of community. That would be crazier than any of the other stuff that we did. Um, we immediately began getting plugged into the core group phase of the congregation that is now uh, Phoenix Bible Church. There have been different iterations along the way, but uh, we have been here since that time. Uh, almost exactly five years ago, my wife and I will have our five-year anniversary in two days, actually. So it's a really significant, yes, we did it. I did it. No, she, she did it, mostly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just been, it's been really crazy. This time here at this church is a season in our life that we know is monumental. There's no doubt in our minds that we will share the story of Phoenix Bible Church with our kids and with our kids' kids. Um, we believe that we have been called here by God, and we believe that Phoenix Bible Church has a unique legacy calling in Central Phoenix. And um, we are just really grateful to be a part of this, and I feel super blessed to be here this morning. Uh, we just came out of a really great sermon series on rest. Uh, Tim did a great job. A lot of the sermons were super convicting. Uh, some of them were hard to hear. And uh, I'd really like to start off my message today by just making a totally honest confession. Um, sometimes when Tim would talk about Netflix, I'd get mad. Like, dude, 
don't tell me not to watch Netflix. I swear, there were times he was like, like looking at me right in the eye because I used to sit over there and he'd be making eye contact with me and be like, he almost said my name, I think, at one point. Like, hey, Bradley, did you know that when you watch Netflix for six hours that that's not true biblical rest? I'm like, man, come on, dude. You can talk bad about me. You can talk bad about my mama. But why do you got to bring Netflix into this, dude? Come on, man. I'm an American. I'm an adult. If I want to come home after work and watch five hours of The Office every day, uh, that's, my, that's my right. It's my American right. It's my prerogative. At least I'm not watching Game of Thrones. And I wouldn't admit that to you guys my first time preaching, even if I did. Um, we can talk later. Winter's coming. Uh, Tim was right. And indulging in binge-watching television, <clears throat> it isn't restful. And it isn't helpful for preparing our hearts for worship. It doesn't situate my mind to see more clearly the glory of the creator, the alpha and the omega. It's, it isn't restful and it isn't helpful for our minds if it does not lead us into the restful presence of the knowledge of God, if it doesn't make our minds resonate with a profound, eternal, and magnificent weight of the good news of the gospel, if it doesn't renew our minds, if it doesn't lead us into supernatural peace. Anything that doesn't do that is not true rest, and it will not equip our minds to see him more clearly, and it will do nothing to orient our hearts towards worship of him. Watching movies and Netflix and football for the jocks, we've got some jocks in here, that stuff is great. At times it can be helpful and restful, but ultimately it's very rarely that any of those things assist our minds to be able to view God more clearly. It doesn't prepare our hearts for worship. So what? Do we just cancel our Netflix subscriptions? No. No way, man. Come on, dude. No, absolutely not. But uh, let's look at what the Bible does have to say. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, as Jesse read, I'm going to read it again. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. Romans 12 is super weird. It's not asking us to do something simple. It's not even asking us to do something natural or morally intuitive. What it's asking of us is that we become something that we fundamentally are not. Transformation. Whole bodies here refers to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the whole animal would be sacrificed. So here, in this New Testament context, it essentially means that no part being left unaffected. So that includes our mind, our bodies, our spirits, our finances, our Netflix viewing schedule, our sexuality, our daytime, our nighttime. It's our whole body. What is being commanded in Romans 12 is crazy. These verses begin with the word, therefore, as a transition from the previous 11 chapters. So why does that matter? Well, the word therefore means that um, the information that we're getting here in the verses that we just read are contingent on the previous 11 chapters. The previous 11 chapters of Romans are theological, they're cerebral, they're really lofty. I mean, Paul was writing for the Romans without a really clear understanding of how much they knew about the truth of the gospel. So he was being very explicit in what the Bible, in what he believed the gospel story was and how grace worked. So it's all this crazy theological stuff, and then you get to chapter 12, and then it gives us an impossible command. So why does any of this matter? Well, the command in chapter 12 to transform 
into something that we aren't is absolutely dependent on the grace that is referenced in chapters 1 through 11. Chapters 1 through 11 essentially says God loves us so much. Here's the, is a very shortened, simplified version, but that God loved us so much that he died and that through salvation, by his grace, that there's no more work left to be done, but only relationship to be had. That's crazy. So just like in the book of Romans, before we start talking about what we can do to orient our minds towards worship, let's take a moment to really think about who God is. Because the way we think about God and the way that we think about who he is can't help but affect our hearts. To be transformed, we need to see God for who he really is. But oftentimes, we just lack the vision. We think about him wrongly. We worship him ineffectively because we don't see him clearly. God's glory, holiness, worth, his majesty, no way contingent on our ability to see him that way. There's an old philosophical question that goes, uh, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to hear it, does it still make a sound? Which I always thought was so stupid. Like, yes, of course it does. You can just leave a recorder out there and find out. We don't have to keep talking about this. But I think a better question, I think a more appropriate question would be, if the glorious majesty of the creator of the universe were being displayed in all of nature throughout every moment in eternity, and yet there was no human there to perceive it and give him worship in response, is the creator of that universe still worthy of all glory, honor, and praise? The answer is a resounding yes. Of course he is. What separates the biblical view that we're talking about of transformation here in Romans 12 from secular self-help is that God's power and his ability to, to transform exist outside of us. Unlike secular self-help, we are not learning to create a stronger sense of self-worth, but we're being renewed by learning to more strongly sense him who is worth all. We are transformed when we see God as he truly is. It's kind of like God is a star. He's majestic, mysterious, dangerous, has unspeakable energy. But from Earth, stars are just like twinkly little guys that little kids sing cute songs about and emo dudes. Uh, we have, my wife and I have a, uh, some friends of ours, and they have a three-year-old. But when she was like, I don't know, like between a year and a year and a half, she learned how to start uh, giving commands to Alexa. And uh, that's a really funny process, something that I, like, I never experienced because I'm older, but it's really interesting to watch kids interact with technology in that way. And she, as soon as she learned how to command Alexa, she immediately became the dictator of what music would be played in the household. And uh, it would go pretty much one way, and it would go like this. Uh, Alexa, play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Playing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. And that was just how it was, and it was super cute. But stars are only cute and are only twinkly because of our proximity to them. It's only because of our perception of those stars. Here on Earth, our proximity to the sun is much different. Our perception of the sun is drastically different. The difference between the life-giving and warmth-providing quality of our sun and some far-off distant star, it's just our proximity. It's just our perception. Just because we're not seeing that far-off star for the dangerous, terrifying entity that it truly is, doesn't mean that it's not capable of totally obliterating us in a nanosecond. The more clearly we see God, the more life-giving, more warmth-providing he becomes. Our sense of him increases. Moses is a great example of this. So Moses in the Old Testament 
the Lord sent Moses to deliver Israel without giving him very much information about who he even was. The Lord basically told him, hey, he goes, hey, go and say that I am sent you. But he didn't really say what or who I am was, which for me, I would have pushed back for more details. That's crazy. That's not very much information for a dude that you're asking to go to deliver an entire nation. But Moses did it. And later on in Exodus 33, we see that Moses and God have created this really unique fellowship, this really unique relationship. We're even told that, according to the scriptures here, that God used to speak to Moses face to face as a friend speaks to a friend. Later on in that chapter, Moses says, Now therefore, I have found favor in your sight. Please show me your ways. Show me that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, This is God speaking. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then Moses said back, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. (laughs) He's beginning to see the value of the favor of having a clear vision of who God is in his life, and it's drastically altering him. Moses then says, hey, God, uh, could you please show me your glory? which I don't know if he said it like that. He probably said, like, show me your glory, God. Because Moses was a big, tough guy. But uh, Moses here, when he says, show me your glory, what he's saying is, I am uniquely aware that when I get a glimpse of your glory, that the narrative of my entire life, that the narrative of the history of all of the Israelites is going to be drastically different merely by gazing upon his glory, merely by seeing God for who he is. God said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by you, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord's like, here we go. Just kind of scoots in front of him. He's like, get a glimmer of my backside. And that's it. That's all the glory you got. But it was still enough to transform the entire narrative of the Israelites in the life of Moses. Moses is like, I can't even look at you right now, Lord. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and then God's like, dude, I would love to show you my glory. But honestly, if you see it, you're going to die. So it's probably better if you just stand on this rock and I'll shimmer shimmy a little bit, and then you can catch a glimpse. But still, it was enough. As soon as Moses got a glimpse of who God was, he was changed and desperate for more. The reason we struggle to renew our minds and worship him is because we're not that desperate to see God as he truly is. When we see him for, truly, for who he truly is, we cannot help but have our minds and our hearts flip totally upside down because gazing upon the glory of God is transformative. We are not transformed when we don't see God. But when we do see God in his glory, we can't help but be changed. Let me say that again. When we see God as he truly is, we can't help but be changed. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 3, 15 through 18. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when a man turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed into his likeness 
from one degree of, of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is spirit. They couldn't interpret scripture because they had a veil over their face. But as soon as that veil got lifted and as soon as they beheld the glory of the Lord for what it truly was, they could not help but be transformed into his likeness. It does not say that they had a veil over their face and then, um, then the veil got lifted and then they beheld the glory of the Lord and they were like, oh, that's good glory. I'd really like to look like that. Hey, Lord, can I look like some of your glory? And then it was transactional and then that's not what it says. It says that the veil was lifted they gazed upon the glory of the Lord, and they could not help but be transformed into his likeness. We're given the eyes to see. We can't help but see the glory of the Lord, and it's transformative. Jesus says it this way in Mark, <clears throat> Mark 4, 12. He says, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might, be turn, they might turn and be forgiven. He's saying here that these people do not truly see God. But if they did, they would worship him. Because just seeing God is enough. His glory is enough on its own. We don't have to dress it up. We don't have to make it pretty with emotional language. It on its own is transformative. Once you get close enough to the sun, you will get swallowed up in fire. When I was young, I was kind of a crazy guy. Um, I got in a little bit of a high-speed police chase, and uh, they, the cops were a little mad. No, they were very mad, actually. They were very upset. I went to jail, and uh, you're not supposed to do that, apparently. And um, went to jail, got out, got on probation, and then I was, like, in and out of jail, and then, like, uh, you know, broke my probation, and then I was on the run, you know, from the law for, like, eight months. And I ended up getting arrested one, one last time. Well, not the very last time, but one time uh, in front of the Alamo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, There's a lot of times. Uh, In front of the Alamo with no shoes on, which is a really uncomfortable place to be with no shoes on. Um, So I will always remember the Alamo. But um, so I I got locked. So they were were like, oh, this dude's his flight risk because he got in a high-speed police chase a few years ago. Let's put him on the scary floor because they put the flight risk dudes on the scary floor. So I'm in there with, like, the scariest people in San Antonio, which they're pretty scary. And uh, so anyways, then I ended up in prison. And, I mean, I'm sure that's pretty obvious because when you look at a guy like me, you're like, oh, that dude's definitely probably been to prison at least once. (laughs) What? Why why are you laughing? Megan? I mean, I would say the thing that kept me safe in prison is pretty obvious, right? What? I I do not understand why you guys are laughing. It's rude. From the age of 16 to about 27, um... My life was absolutely insane. I traveled all across the Southwest. I was playing in bands and I was doing drugs and I was getting in trouble and, uh, you know, getting in and out of relationships, ruining them, you know, having estranged relationships with with my family. Um, It it was a very trying time and uh, I was being controlled by by that addiction. But um, the reality is there were times in there when I when I truly tried to quit, when I truly tried to transform my life, there were times in there when I would, you know, pull myself up by my bootstraps and try to do it with my own strength, right? That's, that's the American way, right? Because that's all I knew. But it wasn't until I was overdosed, I bought some bad heroin in Los Angeles, I was homeless, and I had injected this heroin, and I, it had like rat poison in it, and I was paralyzed for more than a day, and I, I remember probably like maybe the 12th or 13th hour of that paralysis, 
Um, no one was there. I couldn't get to the phone. And um, anyways, my, my view of my life, what changed in that moment is I didn't enter into like a, a foxhole prayer type of situation with God, which is kind of what you'd expect, right? Like, I, I was surprised I didn't either. Like, I was like, I'm not negotiating with God. Like, me and God, I don't know. Like, I'm, not, I'm at the point, I'm not afraid to die. I'm ready to just get this over with. But I'm not going to enter into this sort of, like, uh, negotiating thing with God in prayer. But a really strange and beautiful thing happened. I saw the narrative of my entire life through a brand new set of lenses. In those moments, I retraced, I looked back. I saw every time that God was there with me. I saw all the hurt that I had caused from the other, the other angle, other than my own. I began to get God's perspective of me, his perception of my life. And upon viewing my own narrative with different lenses, it was enough to change me. That was the last time I ever did drugs. That was seven years ago or something. But I, I, in that moment, when he changed my perception, when I saw things differently, I couldn't unsee it. It couldn't be unseen. In and out of rehabs, jails, whatever, you know, the whole thing. Uh, I did each of the 12 steps 100 times each. Um, but it wasn't until... God revealed himself to me and gave me the eyes to see that I was changed and I couldn't help but be changed. Jesus says, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many righteous people and prophets long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So the best thing that we can do as Christians in regards to affecting our hearts towards worship is to posture our minds to see him more clearly. Because when we see him more clearly, we are transformed. What Paul is actually suggesting in Romans is that we stop existing as our former selves and begin existing as something altogether different. The word transformed here that he uses in Romans 12, 1 and 2 is the same word. It's actually only used twice in the whole Bible. And the other time is when Jesus' face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. So that's pretty crazy. I don't know how to do that kind of transformation on my own. It might as well say, well, it might as well say, don't conform to this world, but be transformed by turning yourself into something that you just aren't. It might as well say, hey, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by turning yourself into Aaron Rodgers. Did it work? No? See, it's crazy. It's totally impractical. It's insane. It's unreasonable. So what can we do? Well, in Ephesians 4, 23 through 24, Paul says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Here in Ephesians, Paul is making a really strikingly similar statement to what he said in Romans. Except, it's actually identical in one part, except that he uses the word spirit. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Spirit of the mind here, the way it's mentioned in Ephesians, is a very interesting statement. What it means is that 
the human mind is unique. It isn't just a data processing machine. Except, Graham, just kidding. The Bible is referring to a uniquely, the, the uniquely human disposition of our minds to orient our hearts towards worship. Our minds have a direct line to our hearts and are uniquely positioned to affect the worship of our hearts. What is the spirit of the mind? Well, that can be thought of as the fact that our minds have a posture. They have a bent. They have a position. So this can be thought of as your attitudes, your worldviews, your thoughts about philosophy, uh, your thoughts on religion, your thoughts about, you know, the way you think about politics, um, our view of our neighbor. It's all the spirit of our mind. Some of you may not know this, but I'm a very successful rap artist. That's actually totally not true, but I do know every word from probably like every Kendrick Lamar song ever. I love it. I'm a nerdy white guy, and I love my rap. Uh, I can't help it. I listened to the new Kanye album the, the day it came out. I read articles about rap beefs. Of, it's, my wife thinks it's great. It is, it is weird. Uh, I, I actually like Cardi B. Like, I'm a weird... You know, it's like this weird, nerdy thing that I really like rap music, and I'm fascinated by it, and we can talk about it more later if you're interested in that at all. But uh, the fact is, is that I, I wonder how much more Kendrick Lamar can I quote than I can quote of the Bible, and that's, that sucks. That's hard to hear. I could watch the Prison Mike episode of The Office every day. I mean that. I love that episode. But when I walk away from Prison Mike which as a standalone sentence, I realize sounds super weird. But when I walk away from prison, Mike, my heart is not more uniquely positioned to view God's glory. Nothing has been done to affect the orientation of my heart's worship. So what are some things that we could do that will posture our minds to more clearly see God? Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Anything that can help us see God more clearly, his beauty, think on those things. Romans 8, 5, and 6 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to, their spirit, to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the things of the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life, it's peace. So what can we do? I think one thing we can really do is be aware of how media, books, and conversations are influencing our perception of God and the world. Does reciting every song by Kendrick Lamar, other than making me very cool, does it do anything to help my soul or my mind? The answer is not really. So what we should do, what I've been trying to do, consider what we're taking in and think about it like this. And this is hard for me. Does it make me want to shout praises to a holy God? Does it rejuvenate my soul? Is it inspiring my spirit? Does it cultivate a love for my neighbor? Is it helping me not to worry, obsess, condemn? Is it discouraging me? Is it confusing me? Is it making my vision of God dull, blurry, dim? 
She'd strive in her quiet times to be mystified, totally blown away by the glory of God, inspired by his magnitude and worship. So before entering into a time of prayer, Bible reading, singing, it's always good to take a moment and just remember who God is. If we adjust our mind's attention on his goodness, his kindness, his love, that will guide our heart's affections to revel in those truths. We shouldn't become too methodical with our quiet times. It's good to have a schedule. But let spontaneous times of worship arise as organically as they can. There are times, maybe it's when you're on a hike, uh, maybe you hear a song, maybe it's just an existential momentary awareness of how crazy it is that we're even alive, but that God speaks to you. Enjoy those moments. Those are holy moments. Make conscious efforts to retrace, remember, reflect the goodness that he's already shown in our lives and remember his magnitude in that. We as humans are so, I personally am very quick to forget where I came from. You guys heard a little bit of my past and I'm still like, yeah, I know I used to be homeless, but when am I going to get a new car? That's crazy. I should be grateful. I don't take enough time to retrace, reflect, remember the goodness that God has already shown me in my life. He's already been so good. Even if it just stopped right now, he's worthy of all praise in my life. Even if it stopped right now. Other times, you know, it's just important to take a moment to pray um, and ask him before just doing the methodical duty of reading your Bible or offering lip service. Just get quiet. Lastly, when we're singing, when we're in corporate worship and song, take a moment, take several moments to consider every word that is being sung. And then contemplate the fact that we are gathered with the body of saints called before the beginning of all time to sing praises and songs as the body of Christ. That's magnificent. Let's start now as we pray. Let's take a deep breath. Take a moment to reflect on who he is. Let's take a moment to retrace the goodness that he's already given in our lives. Let's ask him to help us change any ungodly attitudes. And let's ask him to orient our hearts toward worship. Father God, Oh, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be gathered here. I just pray that you would enable our minds supernaturally to perceive who you are in truth, that we would be able to perceive your glory, and that through that we would just be drastically transformed, that we would not be able to help being changed. We believe that you are capable. We believe that you are righteous. We believe that you are majestic, holy, worthy, and we believe that you have the capacity, the unique capacity to change us just upon seeing you. So I pray that you'd help us do that. Give our minds attention and let it guide our heart's affection. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.